Welcome to the first episode of When Survival Looks Like Success. Wherever you are and whatever you're doing, I hope that this first episode provides a sense of comfort and a feeling like you're not alone because you're not. You've got me. So for a long time now, people have been asking me to do a mental health podcast or video blog. My name is Jessica, and I'm the owner of Breathe Body Work and Beautification in Metro Detroit, which is a vegan wellness spa where we incorporate a lot of different spa services. We do events. We have local products. And the goal is nurturing local business growth and, most importantly, personal growth, whatever that may look like to you. I want to read something to you from this book um, called Something More. And it's by Sarah Bon Brethnock, who was the inspiration for the title of this podcast. And this is kind of the theme around where we're going to be going with all this. So George Bernard Shaw said, the real moment of success is not the moment apparent to the crowd. And I want you to really think about that, about authentic success, what it looks like on the other side of the curtain versus what's actually happening behind the curtain. Authentic success is internal. Often other people aren't even aware at first that you've reached it. The moment of success is the awareness that I can do it or I have done it. And it's comforting to know that this can't be taken away from you by an external event. When we achieve authentic success, we don't compare ourselves to others quite so often. That awful force, envy, seems to diminish. In fact, we want others to have the same chances we've had to do what they truly love to do. We become generous of spirit. And that's what this is going to be all about. But today's episode is going to be a little bit of an introduction. An introduction to who I am and where we're going to be headed, what direction we're going in. When survival looks like success is a culmination of being transparent about our mental health experiences combined with how that applies to what society deems is considered successful. And those are two very different things. Essentially, I want to rip the Band-Aid off and see that ugly, gross, healing scar underneath. I think so often we have a Band-Aid society. And yes, we are going to be talking a lot about society and maybe approaching our thoughts differently on different topics. So back to the Band-Aids, the Band-Aid society thing. You get a cut, you put the Band-Aid on, you wait for the healing, and then take the Band-Aid off and poof, all better. But so often what we don't look at and monitor and witness is all this healing and growth that's happening underneath the band-aid. And that is what this podcast is going to be all about. It's going to be about this ugly work that creates something shiny and polished and healed and beautiful, or so we think. I love metaphors, and you're going to hear a thousand of them during this podcast. I mean, probably at least like four per episode because I can't help myself. So the image that this journey like yields and creates for me is shattering a glass castle. It's all I can think of. It's this ideal representation of destroying a perfect image. And we have to do that. I have to do that. And if I ever do a promo shoot for this, I'm going to a rage room and smashing a bunch of glass. 
Like, and I actually know somebody, I have a client that is working on this mobile rage room right now, which is just a very cool concept. Maybe I'll even have her on the show at some point. Um, oh, and maybe I'll wear a tiara, just maybe. Like Amy Farrah Fowler and Big Bang Theory, if you follow that show. I'm kind of a nerd, sorry. I love Maya Bialik. She's like great on Jeopardy, right? Um, she's just so damn funny. I'm still like thinking about it. Okay, back. Nope. Diverting. Diverting. That's okay. So back to my story. And I've never actually shared the whole thing. So bear with me. I think it's really important to share our mental health journeys because oftentimes they start as children. And had I been more transparent about what I was going through internally, I may have received the treatment I needed much earlier. And it's so important that us as adults are talking about this so we can recognize these patterns in our children or our friends' children. Think about like the differences we can make for that. I wish maybe I at least approached the way I was thinking a little bit differently, had I known. So my first feeling of not feeling mentally right or normal was when I was about five. I had this high, tiny window in my bedroom, something that you could only look through with a ladder. Like there was no way a regular person could just see through it. I mean, maybe if they were on stilts, I don't know. And I remember thinking and being paranoid that people were watching me getting dressed through this window. And there was no rational explanation for it. I mean, I was five years old. You know, no one was randomly watching me getting dressed. And I did have these like stairs that went to a back alley um, with these grates over the windows because we lived in this like less than ideal area of Detroit. And so like all our windows had bars on them. And there was one time, I will say, that I I caught like a druggie like on my back deck looking through my window. But where this obsession developed was way sooner than that. I remember looking back at this little tiny window, the one no one could see out of. And I would look back over and over and over tons and tons of times. And it's like I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop checking to see if somebody was watching me getting dressed through this window. And it probably explains why later in life I was rather comfortable with taking my clothes off in public (laughs) because in the back of my head, I kind of just got used to this idea of people seeing me dress and undress for no reason. And so this pattern continued into private school, like in first grade, where I was paranoid that my dress uniform was like stuck in my underwear. And in church, I would be constantly checking the back of my dress, like tugging it over and over and over again the entire time we were in church. And it just kept building. There were more instances from when I was a kid that looking back really pointed to this obvious conclusion that I had obsessive compulsive disorder. But more times than not, I had way more obsessions than compulsions. I did still have a few, though, like organization. To the outside world, I was a kid playing with her toys. But I was actually organizing them laying them out in rows, lining them up neatly, and I played with them too, but having everything laid out in front of me was what provided that satisfaction that compulsion often brings. And I did it with everything. Barbies, figurines, stuffed animals, beanie babies, school supplies, oh my god, everything. These themes continued into my adolescence, and then I started developing intrusive thoughts. So for those of you who don't know much about OCD, it's a lot more complex than what you may think in your head. It was a lot more complex than what I thought growing up. 
Intrusive thoughts are a huge factor in OCD. And pretty much it's like your brain gets hijacked with thoughts that you really do not want to have. Mine are mostly centered around mortality, death, and worst case scenarios. It's supposed to be a survival mechanism. And don't get me wrong, I'm great in a crisis, but it plagued me as a youth. It was like a runaway train. I had zero control of it. I distinctly remember this one time being on vacation in Frankenmuth for my 13-year-old birthday. And I woke up and all that mortality hit me like a ton of bricks. I couldn't get out of bed with my best friend who had to reassure me as I sobbed and sobbed and sobbed for hours because I was so afraid of aging and my parents dying. I mean, I was crippled. And that's how these intrusive thoughts are. They can completely cripple you, wither you down to the shell of a human being that can only focus on this one thought pattern. Intrusive thoughts are still such a plague on me. I will get hit with overwhelming thoughts of people dying, my dogs getting hit by a car, planes crashing into the freeway, and all sorts of stuff. I have an intrusive thought roughly every 20 minutes, so it consumes quite a bit of my day. So during adolescence, I sought therapy because I was cutting myself and really depressed and in this like secretly abusive relationship. And they told me I had borderline personality disorder, which was like wrong diagnosis number one. I had a million wrong diagnoses up until I actually got diagnosed with OCD later in life. My relationship with this therapist was done when she told me, why are you always taking the hard way? Like you have an easier option, so take the easier road. And my response at 13 was, well, what am I going to learn from that? And I don't think I ever changed that philosophy or that behavior. Like, I want to learn. It's taking the easy way out. Like, yeah, of course, it's easy. But what are you really going to gain from that? So I cut out the meds they prescribed, which was just awful and made me have suicidal thoughts. And I took the harder road, which was just dealing with all this bullshit in my head. And I did it for years. Sometimes we're better, sometimes we're worse, and I kept developing more obsessions and more fixations, but I internalized a lot of it, really almost all of it, all the time. So by the time I was a young adult, my mental illness hit at an all-time high when I was using like seven planners, like, like day planners, and I would cancel work if anything changed in my schedule. I mean, it could even be an appointment move 15 minutes because I just couldn't mentally deal with it. I couldn't deal with that change. I couldn't deal with the disorganization. And I would just crawl in bed. I would just lay in bed all day ruminating. I was kind of skating on this line before where I could tolerate my disorder, but I had a medical catalyst administered to me that really put it all into overdrive, which I won't get into because it's kind of a hot button issue. But it ended up triggering my mental condition in the worst way. And mind you, I still had no idea that I even had OCD at this time. And I had, I think it had been like 22. OCD at that time, which I'm 35 now, so keep in mind this is like over a decade ago. But OCD at that time was like that silver chair song from back in the day. It was Anna's song. And I remember that video on MTV where she is washing her hands till they bleed in the sink. And that was what 
OCD was. That was what people thought. Oh, you're a clean freak. Oh, you wash your hands a lot. You're a germaphobe. And I didn't have any of that. So I think I kind of skated by for that long because no one even thought to consider, oh, maybe she has more of the O in OCD. So I end up going to this neurologist because on top of this crippling mental illness, I've developed seven day a week migraines, like every single day. And he looks at me and just says right out loud, do you have OCD? And he had recently read a medical journal article that linked both migraines and OCD together. So he just happened to bring it up because it was on his mind. And so he gives me this the DVM, which is um, typically the DVM is something they use to diagnose mental illnesses. And it's like a certain set of criteria. And a lot of like neurologists and therapists and psychiatrists use it. So he gives me the little DVM test. And oh, yeah, I'm matching for all kinds of disorders because, you know, it's not fun to have just one disorder. You got to have like four. But OCD was was the big one. It was the big enchilada. And people say that the diagnosis doesn't matter. But it did. It did to me. It gave me a starting point and a chance to seek out a support system. It gave me a direction. Don't ever let anyone tell you that you don't need a diagnosis. I hate that. If you want one for any reason, you deserve to have one. It helps to put a name to all the psychotic misery you may be feeling. I did end up going on medication on and off for about a decade, but now I'm off permanently. I tried meds again this year, and it was bad. It was just bad. It wasn't for me. And it's not an easy disorder to deal with on a daily basis, especially if you're not on medication or you're medication resistant. For example, the other day. I bought my parents this surprise weekend in Taos, which is up by Lake Ascoda in Michigan on Lake Huron. And it's this great thing, right? Like you're sending your parents off for a romantic weekend. Well, during my seven massages I had that day, all I could think about was my parents getting into some rainy car accident on their way up there. That's what I thought about for seven hours. Like what the fuck, brain? It was so bad. I was brushing back tears while working all day long. Not exactly great when you're doing massages. To, you're trying to like not cry on people. It's, it's pretty rough. And that's where this podcast comes in. This is the behind the scenes shit that the public just isn't being exposed to. They're not seeing all of this emotional content behind the curtain. And I'm well aware that my business and my clientele are going to be listening to all of this. And I'm grateful for that. And I hope it allows them to have their conversations with me too. Sometimes we need permission, you know? It's hard to initiate. We need this, this voice saying, it's okay, you can confide in me. And hopefully that's the kind of person I can be for people too. I've always wanted to run my own business. Even though the thought of business classes made me cringe. Like there was no way I was ever going to be going to Macomb Community College and getting a business degree. I was never going to be taking statistics and accounting. And if you have done that in your life, kudos to you. But there was there was like no way that I could even wrap my head around it. I bought Retail for Dummies at 18. And I read the whole book. I barely understood any of it, even though it was for dummies, which clearly I was. And I stayed this daydreaming, idealistic fool. I actually have a journal at my house with just business ideas. It's an entire journal full of business ideas. I have wanted to open food trucks and grilled cheese restaurants, vegan comfort food, yoga places. Oh my God, everything you can humanly think of. 
But my main trade is massage. So when my place of business that I was at closed during the pandemic, I was like, well, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it now. And if I fail, I fail. But at least I tried. But I didn't fail in the slightest. In fact, I blew up like fast. Soon I was making more money than I ever had in my life. And I mean, I had been living paycheck to paycheck in thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars of debt for well over a decade paying bills, paying debt, started saving money, and all the good stuff that comes with being more financially secure. And after six months, I was definitely successful, but I wasn't happy. Like what? Here I am living the dream, calling the shots, making my schedule, making people happy. And yet I was empty. I felt alone and miserable and stayed so out of touch. I became very, very manic. I was diving into one escape after the next. That was all of last fall. It was just like, I was like bungee jumping into anything I could to escape my reality. I was in full survival mode during my success. On the outside, I'm doing like brand photo shoots and smiling in every picture. And on the inside, I'm crawling into a fucking hole. And so this podcast, which is going to feature weekly episodes with a variety of topics, is going to be all about this behind-the-scenes action. It is lonely climbing the ladder. It is hard to keep up with social media. And it is dreadful living in fear of one bad review or comment. Because in this day and age, one bad one can take you down. I often feel like I'm just hovering in the sky with a single balloon like waiting to fall to earth, or worse, being shot down. I want to play out a scenario for you, one that might resonate. Say you go to a restaurant. Maybe you've even frequented the establishment before. You're waiting to get dinner to go, just to carry out, and they told you it'd be like 20 minutes. But 20 minutes has come and gone. You're waiting and waiting, dilly-dallying on your phone, and now you're hangry, You're coming up short with the hostess. You're tapping your foot. You are past impatient. This is clearly an outrage because you're a paying customer. Finally, after 45 minutes, you get your food and a short apology. You storm off, go home, eat your food, which seems a touch underdone, and you get on your phone and start going the fuck off on Yelp. And you feel like you did your part to help this restaurant learn from their mistakes and that others can be aware of this slow-ass service so they can plan their day accordingly. Good for you. Pat on the back. Well, think about this. The next day, the owner of the food joint wakes up to that ding-ding notification sound on their tablet. That's the worst sound, that like ding-ding. Oh, God, yuck. And so it's Yelp. And they awaken to their rating having gone down, like a lot. The owner begins to cry because not only is she moving, going through a divorce, and is horribly short-staffed, but now she has a rating decrease that is hard to recover from. Feeling defeated, she sends out yet another apology and offers a discounted meal in the future. And after all that, she has to go on to try to face another day, paranoid of a repeat of yesterday. The point of this isn't to make anyone feel bad. The point of this story in this podcast is to really share our collective experiences and approach life with more compassion and understanding. There is so much volatility in the world these days, and it is hard. It is so damn hard to run a business. 
And trying to run a business while portraying this perfect image can be so damaging to your soul. Maybe you want to be the person you pretend to be online. Maybe you save pictures and accounts of, you know, quote unquote, successful individuals and businesses that feel like it's something to strive for. But believe me, I know it is hard. It is hard to live up to the person that everyone thinks you are. And while we're making baby steps in our society, we still have miles to go. And that's where this all comes in. I hope it's the bridge we all need to start thinking differently about everything we know. It is time to start questioning. It's time to start challenging. It's time to start softening and be more ferocious all at the same time. After the Capitol takeover, a lot of businesses posted a public stance about their feelings and opinions about what had transgressed. And I didn't. In fact, I never do. I have business policies I feel strongly about and enforce, but when it comes to social media, I tend to only promote peace. I suppose that's like this flower child hippie in me. I feel there's so much hatred brewing in the world that my business gets the opportunity to be this safe haven, this escape. We are inundated with news headlines that tear into us and bring up so much powerful and conflicting emotion. And I like to be this place where all that can kind of be shut down, shut off, and you can just be you. I want to be the anti-trigger, so to speak. Well, a local female business owner reached out to me and rather aggressively stated that since I hadn't made a public post about my stance about what had happened at the Capitol, she very clearly did not want to support or promote my business. She was going through and screening all of her businesses on her page, and if they didn't fit her bill or her code of conduct, that was it. It was like someone like yelling at you. Like, you know when people yell at you, like, for shame, and they like wag their finger at you, like, you know, sometimes like old cranky people do? That's how it felt. I was kind of stunned. I mean, I know that the Dalai Lama has had to put up with this kind of bullshit too, but I think he has a social media manager and I clearly do not. <laughs> I like I do all my own social media stuff and it's time consuming. And so when you come across stuff like that, it's just like, I mean, it rocks you. It rocks you to your core. I'm very, very thoughtful about how I respond to aggressive and hostile individuals. I know that what I print out can very easily be plastered all over the internet. I clearly told her how I felt in ways like I have just spoken to you and that no matter what, I would continue to support her business because I believed in what she was doing and thought she was providing a good service. Taking the high road can be very painful. And while she was just venting, it created such an impact in me. I mean, clearly, as I'm talking about it and how long has it been since that happened, it, it still is like a little bit of a knife in me. Now, she didn't drag my name through the mud, but she clearly cut me off and never promoted me on social media again, and I had to learn to be fine with that. But I obsessed hard over it for months, and she probably never gave me a second thought after that. The words we type, the things we say, they have an impact on us. I hope you join me every week as we begin unfolding. I mean, really begin unfolding, unraveling, and ripping apart what's not working in society. Because being in touch with our mental health, preserving our peace, and connecting with others who hopefully are trying to do the same is how we really begin to breathe and heal and let go. 
So don't forget to follow me on Instagram and TikTok at when survival looks like success. Our next episode is going to be a good one about how we work way too damn hard and way too damn long. Take care, my friends.